All right, so we're starting a new series today. We've told you it's called it's called Rooted. Before we go into that message, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to, you can actually write down the answers if you want to, or you can just men, make mental note. It's not going to be that, that challenging. Here's the question. Don't say it out loud your answers, though. We'll get to it later. What was your source of security? And I'm going to give you some ages, okay? So what was your source of security when you were five years old? Can you just, in your mind, just answer the question, what, what was it? All right, now let's, let's jump up to 17. You're 17 years old. What was your source of security? Who needed security at 17? I know, I know. 25 years old. I know I just passed some of you. Like, Doug, I'm not even 25 yet. Okay, just today then for you. Once I hit, once I go past your age, then it's today, right? 45. 210. No, it's 45 is good. All right, so, so you got those little mental answers in your head. Hang on to those. We're going to come back to them later on. Let me talk about what what rooted is a little bit about about the series. Because if I walked into the room and I go, Wow, a new teacher here. What's it called? It's called rooted. Well. Well, what does rooted mean, right? And this is sort of the the, the template for the whole series. This is going to be a, a, a six-week series together, and for the next six weeks, we're going to be we're going to be getting rooted together. And what I want you to understand, it's actually a concept in Scripture that we see several times overlapping each other throughout the Bible. So one of those places is, is the Old Testament, and it's the very beginning of the Book of Psalms, or the the, the whole the, the collection of Psalms, actually. So Psalm one. And we're just going to look at the first three verses. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Okay, so what, what does that mean? Well, it means how blessed is the person who doesn't hang out with people who are keeping a distance from God and doing life their own, their own ways. And especially the ones who bond together and start to scoff, make fun of things that are are, are godly or choose to do wicked intentionally or or sin. It it does not mean, by the way, that blessed is the person who doesn't have any of those people for friends. No, that's not what it says. It's it's blessed with the people who don't make their identity with those people by sitting, standing, and walking with them. It goes on, it says, but his delight, instead of that, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now that sounds kind of heavy because no one likes the word law. So I always just think what it means is, is they meditate in the ways of God. What are God's ways and, and the ways of wisdom from God? And how can I apply them to my life? That's where I find my delight. And it says about that person, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Okay, so, so Lori and I did something really stupid this week. We, we drove all the way to Denver. And then we picked up my daughter who's moving back to Minneapolis. So we, we packed her up, right, loaded up. And that same night, we started driving back from Denver, right? And then we, we did a night in a hotel. And we got up the day, okay, in the, day, the next day here, I think, what would that be? Because I got really confused. I did 30 hours of driving in 36 hours. So that wasn't the stupid part. Um, <laughs> although that sounds stupid when I say it, right? So, so then it was the day of the storm here, here that night. That's the day that we were driving across Nebraska, right? By the way, Nebraska, the only good thing about Nebraska is getting to Colorado. I'm just going on record here. There's no reason to be there unless you're going, you know. All right, so, so we're driving back, and we're, we're in snow, and we, we stop at um, Clear Lake, Iowa, and this is getting late in the day. It's dark now, and I turned to Lori, and, and, and we're in two different cars at this point because we're driving Molly's car back, too, and I, I said to Lori, uh, you know, there's hotels right there. It was right there, and she, she looks at me, and she goes, oh, I, I think we can make it. And I'm going like, 
okay, testosterone up, Doug. You know, come on. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Your wife is telling you you can do this. And, and so, okay, let's do it. And then when we, just so you know, on record here, when we got to the end, she looks at me and she goes, we are never doing that again. <laughs> you know, kind of a moment. So, but here's the thing. When we were going through Nebraska, there was no snow. And I don't know if you could picture it. It's all plains and it's all uphill kind of thing on your way to Colorado. But, but you can tell where the, the little river, Platte River, goes through. It's kind of like a long... I-90 all the way, or I-80 all the way. And you look, you could tell where it is, not because you could see the river, but you could see the trees growing up next to it. And wherever you see the trees, you go, there's, there's water. And that's what this is saying. Why is that? Because that's where it's rich. That's where it's firm. That's where things grow big and strong. So even in, I guess, in the Middle East, I'm going to go there like in November. So, uh, but it's going to be, there must be trees around all the water sources. He will be like a tree firmly planted, deep roots. By streams of water, because that's where things grow and you don't have to go through the, 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 the bad seasons. And these trees yield their fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, it thrives. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Right? So there's, there's this picture of, hey, when you root up with God and you go deeper with God, you, you become firmly planted. And we know the wind is going to blow, but the deeper your roots go, the more you can hold on and, and survive the challenges of life and the things that come your way, and, and God will guide you. And that's kind of what it's saying. That's what, what prosper means. You'll endure. You'll last. Now, in the New Testament, just to kind of show you the layering, Jesus told a story about a farmer scattering seeds. If you went to Sunday school as a kid, I know you, you, you heard this story. The farmer went out and he scattered seed on, on the soil. And it wasn't Minnesota. It wasn't like they tilled it up and all the soil is beautiful and equal and dark and rich. It's different kinds of soil. Some of it's rocky. Some of it has some, some seeds of weeds mixed into it. So it grows up that way. Some of it is really, really good soil. And so the point of this, the story, by the way, just to give it away, you can go read it and locate it for yourself, is he's kind of saying what kind of soil you're going to be because some of the soil produces a plant instead of dying out or not producing fruit, a healthy plant that reproduces itself 100 times over. This is the kind of plant that we want to be the soil for is kind of the, the, the illustration he's giving. But in the middle of his explanation, because after he told the story, the disciples go, what did that mean? Right? And I always appreciate the disciples asking that kind of question because then we find out the right answer. Right? So what did, what did that mean? And if you turn to Luke 8.13, and I'll just show it to you, if Luke 8.13, he starts to explain one of the kinds of soil. So he says, the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message. Right Now he's explaining the spiritual significance here. Who hear the message of God and receive it, the gospel, with joy. Right? And they went to summer camp. Right? And, yeah, I'll pray that prayer. Or they were in a kid's class. Who wants to go to hell? Not me. Who wants to go to heaven? Me. And they, Jesus says you can. I'll pray that prayer. And they receive it with joy, wherever, wherever it is. But, but since they don't have d- deep roots, they believe for a while. And then they fall away when they face temptation. Or when the hard times come. Or when all their friends say, we don't believe anymore. Right? And so the picture I have all this time of, of, of deep rootedness, I, I think of the cabin that my dad owns and going up there. It's in the Canadian Shield. This is one of the trees on the island where, where this cabin is. And just so you know, when, when you get to a certain point northward, and the, the shorelines change. Down here we have muddy shorelines, pretty much. Right? You don't see the, Up there, all the shorelines are, are beautiful rocks. And, and uh, there's hardly any soil. So I took the picture of this tree years ago because... I'm just amazed at how these white pines can grow with almost... They just find a little crack in these rocks 
and they, and they start to grow and they, they try to put their roots down and they grow really, really big. And you can see, like, if you look at this picture, there's just not, there's nothing there. And even where there's soil, the soil isn't very deep on, the, on like our island and everywhere you go. And so it's, it's gorgeous, but you need to know something. It's fragile. All it takes is the right storm and the right wind. And these trees do not have the, they can't grow the root system. Their root systems are flat and spread out. And, and good luck with the wind, right, kind of thing. They can't go down and, and, and deep. When I looked at this and was thinking about this series, I thought, you know what? I don't want Crosswinds to be like that. I don't want this church to be full of pine trees that look really good from a distance, but they don't, we don't have the root system. We don't have the, the, the depth. We haven't grabbed on... We haven't learned to feed ourselves. That's what roots are all about is how do you get your own nourishment? How do you, how do you grow and create a stable growth? Because no matter what happens in your life, and just trust me, the wind is going to blow. The storms are going to come. People you respect are going to stop following Jesus. And you're going to have to make decisions about, well, do I still follow Jesus? Life is going to happen. You're, I don't know if it's going to be the, the baby moment where, you know, a deformed child and, God, why would you let this? Don't, I don't know if you love me anymore and I don't have the root system for this kind of wind. And, and we all know, no matter how good our lives are, we all know they're not going to end well. Right? Some, we're gonna, I, I've never seen a, I mean, other than the, you know, the 95-year-old person didn't wake up this morning. We go, oh, that's awesome. Who wouldn't want that? Right? That's the way to get out of this deal. But, but by and large, all of us are going to have at least endings, and most of our endings are not that much fun. Most of them involve kind of like real downers, a chapter of our lives where it's really, really tough because we know it's the, probably the last chapter. And, and, and I'm not trying to prepare you for that. That's, of course, that's in the background. But I guarantee you, your life is going to have storms all the way along and challenges all the way along, and the sun is going to shine really, really hot, and the wind is going to come up, and, and so those things are going to happen. And that's why I opened the question the morning with, so what is your source of security? Now, let's answer it. And we'll do this out loud. You can do it. I know it's early, but you can do this, all right? So at five, when you were five years old, someone tell me, what, what was your source of security? Say, how many said you thought parents right away? You put your hand up for that one. Anybody go, not my parents. Not my parents. No, it's not. It's actually, I mean, I'm serious. If it's not your parents... That, that's a significant issue, right? In your, I know it. If it's not your parents, that is a significant issue in your life. We'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. At 17, what did you, what did you say, anybody? Friends. Peers, friends? Okay. Um, at, what did I say, 25? 25. Anybody know? Your job? Money? Some of us are still my parents, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And, and then 45, family. Anybody want to say God, but you're too, you don't want to be the spiritual person? Yeah, okay, I, I got it, right. So I asked my wife these same, these same questions, and she's my guinea pig for you. So she said, she said at five it was her parents. And uh, at 17 it was her <clears throat> boyfriend. <laughs> Some of you remember him. And uh, at 25 she said, you know, uh, it was God and, and you, Doug, right? And I said, well, about 45. And she said, at 45, it was just God. Somehow, 
<laughs> Somehow I got booted off the lift, you know. I go, good, the pressure's off, you know. And then I was a jerk because I told her, you're wrong in every answer. She goes, what do you mean I'm wrong in every answer? Well, I know you think you're right, but you're wrong. It wasn't, when you were five years old, it wasn't your parents. It was the fact that you knew or believed that your parents loved you. Because if you didn't believe they loved you, having parents isn't enough, right? And at, at, at 17, it wasn't your boyfriend. <clears throat> it, was, it was the fact that you thought he loved you that, that gave you security and trust. And at 25, it wasn't God and it wasn't me. It was the fact that you believed that God loved you and I loved you. And at 45, it's still not God because lots of people believe in God, but they don't have any security from it. They, they only believe that there's a God, but they don't know him or trust him or think he loves, or a lot of us think he can't love me. Right? And so I was making the point, the same one that I'm making to you now is that what believing in God is, is very small. Knowing his love is very big and very important if we're going to have security, if we're going to have trust, and if we're going to move forward and take risks in our life. Security comes not just by believing, but by being rooted in our love for God. And, and this isn't a new thought. This is a Paul thought. This is a Bible thought, right? So Ephesians chapter 3, which is going to be kind of our key passage, maybe throughout the series, our theme passage, um, Paul's in prison. He's always in prison. The guy, that's when he wrote the most, I think. And, and he's writing to the, the church of Ephesus, and he's, he's talking about his suffering. He's afraid they're going to get depressed because he's suffering, and he knows they're suffering and being persecuted. So he's writing this, this letter of encouragement. And in it, he says, you know, I'm, I pray for you guys. And I want to show you what he prays in chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. He says, I pray for you guys. I pray that his glorious unlimited resources will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And I'm going to call that security. I pray that you sense his strength in your heart and that you can empower, feel his boldness to, to do, I feel you're secure for live your life so you can live the lives that you're supposed to live. Then Christ will make his home in your heart so you're in a sense that God is with you as you trust in him, not believe in him, but trust in him and his love. Right? And then he says, and I think you put the word may in front of this, may your roots grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. Right? Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. One translation says, your roots will go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And I love that translation. Into the soil of God's marvelous love. And then you can soak it up, his love. And you, it'll stabilize you. Right? And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand, to understand fully. I love this. Okay, so catch that. It's too great to understand fully, but may you understand as all God's people should, <laughs> how deep I want. It's like, Paul, make up your mind. You know, can we understand it or can't we? And he's kind of saying, no, we, we really can't, but I want you to understand me more and more and more of it. And then you'll be made complete and you will have all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. And I think we could add the word, and you'll be secure. And you'll be able to weather, weather, the, weather the storms. 
and still stand at the end of it. Because knowing God's love, being deeply rooted in God's love gives me security. This is the foundation of what it means to be deeply rooted in God. We have to, we, we gotta, God loves us. We need to interpret our world that way and, and learn to live in it. But I think if you're here and you haven't, see this is so like, oh, Jesus loves you, kind of a message. God loves you. And it's like, how many times have you heard that in your life? And it's, 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 it sounds trite because we say it so casually and so, so frequently. But if you came in for the first time and you go, really? Really, God loves me? Look at the baby I just had. I mean, I love my baby, but come on. Why did God let this happen? Or somebody got cancer or something. I lost my job or whatever the storm is. You take that most recent storm and you go, evidence. Evidence that God does not love me or care about me or give a rip about me. So why should I believe in God's love? And that's what I want to wrestle with today, because if you don't believe in it, you can't put your roots into it, right? So, so I'm going to give you reasons like you've never heard before that, that God loves you, and, and how, why would you, anybody, why do I believe it? So here's reason number one is God doesn't doodle. Okay, now that's very clear, isn't it? <laughs> okay, I'm a doodler. Anybody else in here a doodler? Right? It's how I got through church. Right? As a high school student, it was like doodling and squares, and we played games with dots where you put your initials in the squares. That you, some of you know what I'm talking about. All right, so God doesn't doodle. I'm a doodler. Right? That's one I did for you. I've done many, many, many doodles. Right? Lots and lots, because it keeps my mind, keeps my hand from going crazy. I focus and I can listen at the same time kind of thing. And, and, uh, but here's the deal. My wife has never taken my doodles and got them framed. There's, she hung, hangs a dress up in our house. I told you that last week. But none of my doodles. My doodles don't even make the refrigerator cut. My kids bring home stuff. I mean, garbage art in second, third grade. No, it was really bad. Right? I mean, it was just, and oh, this is, this is a masterpiece. And, you know, up on the fridge it goes. And I'm like, I doodle. And it never makes a cut. Here's what I want you to know. You know, you know by the way, you know what happens to my doodles? Garbage. Crumple up and throw it. They, it's just doodling. It was. It's not good. It was never meant to be art. It was never meant to be on a fridge or a wall, right? But God doesn't doodle. But I think a lot of us thought He was doodling at creation, and, and it's just the opposite of that. When you turn to Genesis, it starts off with "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth," and it goes on to describe the next five days. The fish and the seas and the, and the animals and the plants and the stars and the, everything, everything. And at the end of each day, each little section of, of creation, he, he stands back and he looks at it and he, and he goes, now that I'd put in the fridge. Although he doesn't exactly say that. He said, it's good. It's good, which means I'd frame that. You know, and he doesn't, he doesn't have a wall, so he doesn't frame it. He just, I can look at the same time I want. I, this is art. This is beautiful. This is, is good. Now, let me just go to the place where some of you might be. You might be in a place where you go, creation, Doug, really? Come on. I mean, we're just going to dismiss our brains completely here. You know, and I didn't say seven days. The point of Genesis, we can argue about that some other day. The point of Genesis is not how long or how he did it. The point of Genesis is God did it. It was intentional. And, and you're intentional. This is not all accidental. And even if we describe a process that we think of, this is probably how it happened in, in scientific terms or whatever the you know, kind of different theories out there, the bottom line to it still comes back. The Bible, the Bible goes, well, you know, really, so what? So what? 
So what it was that way? So what it was this way? The real question is, is there anyone behind it making it happen? And, and so it's, it's who did it, not how he did it, right? So, so when, as God did it, no matter how many time frame it took or the process he used, the Bible says that he enjoyed it. And, and it was good. And he wasn't going to crumple it up and, and, and throw it away, right? Genesis, we get to day six, and he kind of turns a corner. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. That's, that's a pause moment, right? He just created the animals. He created, this, let there be, let there be. And then before he creates people, he pauses and he goes, hey, let's, let's make human beings and let's do something really, really different. Let's make it in our image, in the image of God. So God created human beings in his own image which is separate from the rest of creation. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it wasn't good anymore. It was very good. It, it went up a notch. Right? By the way, this should change how you look at every single person on the face of the planet. It should change how we look at ourselves, but, but everyone else too. No one is a doodle. We are all fridge-worthy. And the reason this is important is because sometimes people think, well, God couldn't love me because have you ever seen me and I'm this and I'm that and I've done these things? And I'm going, really? Let me tell you how God really looks at you. He looks at you when he created from the beginning and he goes, this is really good. And I'm not saying you haven't done stupid stuff and sinful stuff. I'm just saying when God looks at you, he created this person for a relationship and that was good. And that's, that's kind of the point of, of, of Jesus. Is that's what he wants to get back to, that relationship with you. Paul, Paul echoes in on, on this idea that we're art in, in Ephesians 2.10. He wrote this. He said, for we are God's masterpiece. We are not doodles. We are masterpieces. And he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. Not only be in the right relationship, but God has things for us to do. And we are masterpieces. And, and, and I don't know how you grew up thinking about yourself, but that's a big deal. That's, that's soil you want to start to plant in, put your roots into a, a little bit. This idea that you are not junk, it's been described, that you are a masterpiece. God doesn't doodle. He's never going to crumple you up and throw us away. That's not what he created us for. Reason number two that we can believe God loves us is he put it in writing. This is, some people call the Bible like a, it's a love letter from God, and I've never liked that phrase. I mean, candidly, I always go, oh, love letters from God, because that makes it sound like God's my boyfriend, right? Or your boyfriend, whatever. And it's, it's like, no, that, he's God. But in his word, over and over and over again, he puts his love for us on paper, on ink, through, through, through the authors. One of those authors was David. And in Psalm 86, he kind of taps into this, um, this written statement of God's, of God's love. He says, uh, in verse 11, he says, Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. So he's kind of praying here. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. With all my heart, I will praise you, O, my, o Lord, my God. I will give you I will give glory to your name forever. And then verse 13, for your love for me is very great. Now, can I tell you something? If anybody should question God's love, it should be David. 
And you're thinking, what do you mean? David had faith. David killed Goliath. Yeah, I know, I know. But then he also later on, in the midst of, after all the ways God had proven himself to him, David goes out and commits adultery. And David arranges for the death. So basically he's the murderer of, of that woman's husband. And then he marries her. And they cover it all up. And you know the story. So this adulterer murderer is now writing that your love for me is very great. And he put it in writing. And I think the reason it's in writing is for us. Because if God can love David, then he can love us. Because David's a work of art. You know, not a piece of art. That's a different thing, right? He's, he's a work of art. He's a masterpiece, as, as we are. Paul catches on to this and, and puts it in writing for us as well. He says this in Romans 8, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted? In other words, he's saying, hey, the storms are coming and the wind is blowing and hard things happen. Does it mean that God doesn't love us if we're hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Is that the time to say, I'm out of this deal? God doesn't love me? I can't believe in God anymore because times are really, really rough? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And he's really thinking of, Christ on the cross at that moment, who loved us in that moment, but he could have made it present tense. He could have said, who loves us? Christ loves us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love that God has revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, Paul did. He put it in writing. Now, why did he write that? Why did he say, hey, when bad times come, does that separate us from God? Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. Nothing can ever separate us. It's because he knew that his, the people who were going to read him, read the letter, were going through those storms. He says, put your roots down deep. Hold on to God's love with every fiber of your being because the wind is going to blow. These things are going to happen and don't let the thought enter your head that that means God doesn't love me and I'm, I'm, I'm giving up on this deal. God has put it... By the way, I could have showed you hundreds of verses about God's love. His steadfast love never fails. You know, many of us grew up in churches where we, we, we recited, you know, responsive readings about God's love. It's, it's in Scripture from the beginning to the end, which is why some people call it that love letter thing. Let me give you reason number three is he, he backed it up, he being God. Not only did he, did he say, hey, when I created you, I created you so lovable, so you're, art, you're not a doodle, and not only have I put it in writing so that you can just know from Scripture over and over again that I, how I feel about you, how I'm committed to you, but then he backed it up. When you back something up, it means action. Right? Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 5. He just, and it's over and over again in, in Scripture, but maybe this is the most clear. He said, verse 8, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Paul is saying, hey, anytime that you doubt the love of God, you need to think back to what Christ did. You need to remember. You need to picture him on the cross. You need to picture him having those nails driven through his hands. You need to remember that he 
He gave everything. He poured it out. He said right before he did it, he said, the night before he said, hey, there's no greater love than somebody give their life to another person for his friend, would die for his friend. That's the greatest expression of love. And then the next day, he did it for all of humanity. He backed it up. And, and, and if you go to this church, you're going to hear about that again and again and again. Because when he died on the cross, it was for our sins so that we could be in this relationship with God the way it was intended to be. He was redeeming what God said in Genesis for today for each of, each of us. Now, if I heard all of that, my next question might be, well, how much does God love us? I mean, really, how do you, I don't even know how you measure it, but, but how much does he love us? And, and, what kind of love is it? And I was really struggling with that question a little bit. And the other day, this is pretty fresh stuff, just last week in our investigating Crossman's class, we were talking about John 17 and where Jesus prays for, actually he prays for us. This is the night before he dies. And it's this long, chapter 17 is long. And it's, and it's actually kind of a difficult chapter in some ways because it gets a little confusing. But in the middle of it, he prays, actually it's towards the end, he prays for not only his disciples, but he prays for those who would follow his disciples. Let me show it to you. Verses 20 and 23, it says this. I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Right? So he's, that's us. We've been handed down generation after generation. We are living in the wake of the disciples. And, and we got caught up, and those of us who believe are believing because of generations of faithfulness and the message has come to us and so we, we em, em, embraced it. And then here's the, his prayer for us is in 22 and 23. It says, May they experience such perfect unity, so he's praying for unity, that the world will know that you sent me, and I'll catch this part, and that you love them as much as you love me. So the world will know that you love them, the world. Well, who's the world? Everybody. It's everybody. It's everybody who's ever sucked breath. Everybody who ever had a heartbeat. Everybody. That you love them as much as you love me. Wait a minute. God, are you saying you love me as much as you love Jesus, who is you? Which is very confusing to me. Above my pay grade. We're getting into deep waters here, right? You love me as much as you love Jesus who died on the cross for me? Right? And he goes, yeah, the Father loves us as much as the Father loves Jesus. For me. I'm, I'm back with Paul. <laughs> it is beyond my ability to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love really is. You know? By the way, go read Matthew chapter 25 because now it makes sense. Matthew 25 says that that God said when you take care of the least of these, right, the people who are hungry and thirsty and the poor and the sick and the imprisoned, he goes, you're really doing it to me because why? Now I start to get a little glimpse because God loves them. He loves them, that person, as much, not just as much as he loves you, which is true, but as much as he loves Jesus which is still hard for me to embrace and grasp and, and understand. But it tells me this, it is way beyond my comprehension. 
It is beyond anything. At funerals, I'll often say that, hey, if this person could come back and talk to us, one of the things they would say to us after seeing God face to face is that they grossly underestimated the love of God. All of us do. The greater understanding I have of God's love, though, the more I dig my roots into it, the more secure I I become. And again, we'll go back to those key verses, Ephesians 3. So let your roots grow down into God's love to keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God people should, but none of us can, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great for any of us to fully understand. God wants us to know that he loves us. He wants our roots to grow deep into it. God never doodles. God has put it in writing for us. We can go to Scripture anytime and remind ourselves, just Google it, right? God's love for us. And you're going to, tons of verses will pop up. And then God backed it up on the cross. He's backed it up in many, many other ways as well. Now, here's how I want to close our, our message, all right? I want to remind you of the three most powerful words in a relationship. How many of you right now are in a, in a romantic relationship? By the way, even if you feel like today the romance has gone out of it, just if you're married or if you're in a romantic relationship, all right? Put your hand up in the air, okay? Right. So, okay, good. Now, I want, you to re- I want you to rewind the clock for a moment back to when, you were, when, when we weren't at a I love you stage, right? Because the three most powerful words are I love you. This is a, this is a relationship-defining moment. One of you said it to the other one first, right? If that was you, raise your hand. You go, I'm the one who said it first. I'm the one who said it first. Okay, okay, you are the courageous and the bold, right? <laughs> Last night, one of the guys came up to me and goes, yeah, my wife said it first. And I looked at her and go, you got guts, right? I'm not sure I got all the words exactly what he said, but he said those words, right? You got guts because you just put it out there, right? And, and, and by the way, I heart you does not count. <laughs> I just, that is totally different. That is like, that is like, ah, Valentine's Day, I heart you, right? New York too. And uh, no, no, it's got to be eye, eye to eye, or at least communication to communication. I love you. You're, you're stepping out there and you're taking the, the big risk. But here's what it does. It puts the other person in a really interesting place, doesn't it? They have to respond to that. They, there's going to be some kind of response. So here's between Lori and me. I went first, but here's how I did it. It's like the coward's way out. Kind of, you're going to say, all right, so, so remember, some of you know, we stalked for a long time. I stalked her. We had one date. We had one date. And then I went to work at a camp in Canada, and she went to work at a camp in, in California. And we wrote letters. This is before the Internet, cell phone, any chat things or nothing, right? There's no communication except for ink, paper. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Ink, paper, pens. You write it down, you seal it up, you put it in an envelope, you put, uh, stamp, go, all right? So it took two weeks to go from this obscure little island camp I was on in Lake of the Woods to get to California coast. And then it took two weeks for her to get a letter back to me. So we didn't write every two weeks. We just wrote daily and mail's going like this, right? And so but you catch up two weeks later. You find out what they thought of the last letter you wrote. So somewhere in this relationship building exercise of, by the way, we have a stack of these things. I tried to throw them away. She won't let me. And because uh, I'm worried you're going to find them someday. And uh, <laughs> Lord will take pictures and put it up here where the dog wrote. 
because I talked about the dress. Anyway, so um, somewhere in the point, we had communicated enough, and I just wrote down, you know, I want you to know I love you, right? So the safe part is you put it in the mail. But in a way, it's not safe. In a way, it's like for two weeks, you're going, what's going to happen, right? So, so I, and I forget exactly how she worded it back, but eventually she wrote back and, and, and kind of said, yeah, me too, kind of a moment, kind of a thing. So, so we worked it out because then before we actually got together again, I wrote another letter saying, okay, all bets are off, right? I'm not holding you to it. Because we've wrote, because I knew, you know, what we've written in letters, we're imagining the person to be, as well as actually what they said. And I mean, she was really in love with me from what I read. And uh, <laughs> but when I wrote, "I love you" to her, and when you said, "Those of you who were brave enough, I love you" to the other person, the other person now has a burden because they have to do something. They got to say something, right? Thank you is not the right rep- response. There's, you should do well. Thank you. You know. I like me too. <laughs> you know, that's, that's bad, right? So here's your real choices, right? One, you can ignore it. Lori could have done that. She could have said, I never got that letter. Canadian mail, what can you do, right? Kind of a moment. You, you can, you can, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Let's, uh, what, I think I'd like to have this for supper. You know, I mean, you could change the topic. You can ignore it. You can run away, right? Which is, I'm out of this relationship. You just, you just blew it. You, went, you took it to a level up. We're not even ready for it. We're just friends. I think you've misinterpreted me right? Kind of a moment, but I'm going to run away from this relationship. And your third choice is to embrace it and, and, and not only let it grow, but feed it. Because when you embrace it, you, I love you. I think I love you too. Where do you think we're going? Let's find out. And then you put your roots down into the, into the love and you do things to make that relationship grow. That's what this series is. And God has gone first. He said, I love you. And the ball's in our court of how we're going to respond to it. And the question is, so what are you going to do? Let's pray. So God, this morning, I think you've made it clear to us that you love us. And each of us should be saying in our own minds right now, God, you love me. And the question, God, is how will we, how should we, how can we respond? And maybe there's some of us here who need to embrace that love for the first time and realize that you are the one who's looked into the corners of our souls where we try to hide the dirt or the garbage and you still love us. We can embrace your forgiveness today. And we can say, yes, I want you to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. I want to do life with you. I want to live out this, becoming more and more the masterpiece you created me to be. And God, for some of us, it's a day when we say, you know what, I, my roots are shallow. I need to start doing the things that will that put the roots down. Because I want to follow you, God, from now till the day I die. And I know there's going to be storms and challenges and losses and highs and lows. But I want to finish this race.
And God, there's some of us who may be saying, you know, I used to, I used to live in that love, but now I've been ignoring it. The romance has gone out. And maybe today we want to fix that with you. So God, that's, that's each of us have, a, have choices to make, roots to put down, ways to respond to your love. Help us to do it. Because we want to live brave and bold and secure lives because we know that we're loved by you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for coming.